I learned that particular uh, thing from Brother Jack Wood. I'll blame him. My wife says I blame him for all my bad traits. And uh, we were going to North Carolina one time before that when Brother Wood was, uh, had told everybody what time we were going to leave the church. We'll be leaving the church parking lot at such and such time. And uh, Brother Tom Delf was driving that Greyhound bus. He got time. Brother Wood's looking at his watch. He said, crank it up, Brother Tom. It's time to go. He cranked it up, and he's pulling out of the parking lot, and a car turns in the church parking lot. He said, Brother Jack, there's so-and-so. He said, too late. <laughs> it didn't stop till we got to Summit, Mississippi, where we were picking up some more people, and those people followed the bus from Houston to Summit, Mississippi, and got on the bus there and rode the rest of the way to North Carolina. You say, that's ridiculous. No, you know what's ridiculous? Is one person holding up a busload of people. The world doesn't revolve around you, cowboy. Everybody thinks the world revolves around them and they ought to be the exception to every rule. But that didn't work with Brother Jack. And it hadn't worked real well with me either. We set the time. Here we go. Now, our Spanish people struggle with that rule. <laughs> so I'm, I, I try to be aware of who I'm working with. I am in Joshua chapter number one this evening. Thank you for that good message about holiness, the forgotten doctrine of independent Baptist, the ignored doctrine, the explained away doctrine. You covered that well, brother, and I appreciate that. We actually had a man in our church that uh, was a Wesleyan holiness. Seems like I'm there. Seemed like there was one more word in there. Anyway, John Wesley type holiness, which means entire sanctification. Uh, an elderly man in his seventies and his wife. They had a church that they were attending that was a, a Wesleyan Methodist holiness, I believe is what it was. And their, church, their pastor resigned, moved to Indiana where, where that doctrine is more prominent than it is in Houston, Texas. And the pastor resigned and was going to be moving back home. And this elderly couple were going to be the only two people left in the church. So they asked their pastor, where, where do we go to church? He said, you know, I went to a funeral at the Shady Acres Baptist Church. And he said, those people worshipped God and praised God 
at a funeral. He said, if I were you, I would go there. He said, they're not the same doctrine that we are, but if you want to worship God, you will like that church. Those people came and were a great blessing to our church. A couple of our young men wanted to go visit them and straighten them out, you know, with their King James Bible. I said, if I find out you even mentioned eternal security or holiness or entire sanctification, I will church you for sowing discord. You leave those old people alone because whatever they believe, they're doing a better job living a holy life than either one of you birds. And so I have no confidence that you two can straighten that man out. So you leave him alone. He's a blessing, and he'll keep being a blessing if you'll leave him alone. I must have convinced them they never did go over there. (laughs) I'd go over there because the old man just knew how to do everything. I was over there one time. He was restoring a Victrola. You know, an old record player that you crank it, no, no electricity. You just hand crank it, and it spins the record, and you put the thing on it, and it plays. little staticky, you know. Good sound. Good sound if you're in the antiques. And that man had that thing looking brand new. It didn't even work when he got it. They would fly jets, private jets, from Saudi Arabia to Houston that were only one year old and they'd be totally trashed. No offense if you're from Saudi Arabia, but those people are filthy. And they would totally trash a private jet in one year. And it was just a family jet, nobody in it but their family. And he would take all the upholstery off the seats, all the carpet off the floors, and totally restore this private jet This family would get in and fly back to Saudi Arabia. I'm talking about just a a man that knew how to do some stuff. So every chance I got, I'd go over there and visit him to watch him work and see if he'd teach me something. If you ever run across somebody like that that's really good at something, get your kids around him or her. Get your kids around them. Let them learn how to watch somebody that really knows how to do something. And it'll be a blessing to your home and your children and your grandchildren. So uh, they were wrong on their doctrine, but they were right on their living. We're right on our doctrine but we struggle with being right on our living because we can always just put it all under the blood. See, they just wouldn't commit it. Then they didn't have to put it under the blood. Novel idea. I'm not saying they're right, okay? Don't misunderstand what I'm saying tonight. But I appreciated that message on holiness because it's seldom covered 
in the meetings that I attend, and if it is, not as thoroughly and not as well as it was tonight. Joshua chapter 1, verse number 9. The children of Israel, you know, they've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, going in circles, living, you know, mostly a defeated life. They see God do some miraculous things. Uh, feeding them, giving them water, cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. That, that'd be, you know, that's the type of the Holy Ghost. And that's uh, the picture of walking in the Spirit, but they were struggling with that in the wilderness. And verse number 9 of chapter 1 of the book of Joshua says, Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage? This is the Lord encouraging Joshua. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the host, and command the people, saying, Prepare you victuals, or as we say in the south, victuals. For within three days ye shall pass over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God giveth you to possess it. Within three days you're going to see a great victory. Chapter 2, verse 1. And Joshua the son of Nun sent out a Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. God said, Now in three days, I'm going to give it to you. And they went and came into a harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men in hither tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country. I would like to start tonight by saying sometimes God tells you to do something that seems absolutely impossible. So what do you do when in your heart and mind you really believe God told you to do this thing, but you're looking at the circumstances and you're saying, there's no way this is going to happen. It's impossible. So I'd like to preach tonight on uh, what to do when you hit a wall. I've seen some very impossible things in the last few years. Some amazing things that I would have never thought would have been possible for our church and for some of the people in our church. There's one thing that God laid on our heart to do that never has happened yet. I probably talked about it maybe the last time I was here, really don't remember, but God put it on our heart to start an orphanage in Nigeria. And we found a couple who were willing to go over there and face 
possible death at the hands of the Fulani terrorist. And they were willing to sacrifice their lives if necessary to go to Nigeria and take in unwanted children, raise them, teach them, give them the Bible, watch them get saved, take care of them, feed them, house them, love them, let them know there's a God that loves them, and just take some unwanted children that wouldn't have a chance otherwise and make a difference. Well, we were working on that. We found the people to go. They were ready and willing, and they were working on getting a visa when COVID hit. That locked down the country of Nigeria, which the last time I checked, you can still only get a 30-day visa if you're an American. I don't know about Canadians. Sometimes Canadians can go places nowadays that Americans can't go. So, COVID locked it down. We just kept praying. And they asked me, what do you want us to do? I said, just travel around and tell people you know that you're going to, when God opens the door, you're going to go to Nigeria and take in some children. And that's what they've been doing. Just about two weeks ago, I heard that they had extended it, that 30-day visa, to 60 days. So we're making progress. But you still can't go over there and take in a bunch of children and leave every 60 days. I mean, how's that going to work? We're willing, if there's some way to do that, if we can figure it out, we'll, we'll give it a try. Just not sure that's going to happen. But just because it doesn't happen when you think it should happen doesn't mean you give up on what God has put in your heart to do. Our timing and God's timing is very seldom the same. And He doeth all things well. We get impatient. We want it to happen right now. That doesn't always happen. But here in this story, God told them, I'm going to give this land into your hands. And uh, chapter 2, verse number 3, he begins by reminding them of some things that he's already done for them. And if you're gonna if you're gonna do what God tells you to do, somewhere along the way you're just gonna hit a wall and say, Well, I thought God wanted me to do this, but here's a wall. It's impossible. This wall of Jericho was very high, it was very thick. I saw an architectural drawing of the wall of Jericho because they recently found the remains of Jericho. Archaeologists did. And when they found the remains of the wall of Jericho, the wall was built on a steep slope. So you got this steep slope all the way around the city and halfway in the middle of this steep slope is this big, tall, thick wall. So it's not like you just can run up there and put up a ladder. 
the ladder's going to slide. It's not like you can uh, attack this walled city like normal warfare would attack this city. It appeared to be an impossible obstacle to the will of God. What God wanted them to do and what God told them to do. And yet God says, I want to give it into your hands, this country. And verse 3 of chapter 2 says, And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come to thee, which are entered into thine house, for they be come to search out all the country. I think we got somebody here spying us out, getting ready to attack us. And the woman took the two men and hid them and said, Thus there came men unto me, but I wist not whence they were. And it came to pass about the time of shutting of the gate, when it was dark, that the men went out. Whither the men went, I want not pursue after them quickly, for ye shall overtake them. Now it's a good thing she wasn't saved at this time. Because she's just lying through her teeth. You know God can even use a liar. Okay, I didn't get much response from that. Some of you should be thankful for that. Verse 6 said, But she had brought them up to the roof of the house and hid them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order upon the roof. And the men pursued after them the way to Jordan under the fords. As soon as they which pursued after them were gone out, they shut the gate. And before they were laid down, she came up unto them upon the roof, and she said to the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. She said, I know that. How did she know? Somebody had been talking. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea, this harlot had more faith than any scientist I know to this day who claimed that it wasn't really a parting of the sea, it was just kind of a swamp that they went through. But the Bible said dry land. We heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did unto the two kings of the Amorites that are on the other side of Jordan, Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts did melt, neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. There wasn't a man in the city that had any courage left. You know the battle's half won if you can get there. Okay, more than half. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. That's pretty good testimony for a lost hell-bound harlot. Don't you think? Now therefore I pray you swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that you will also show kindness unto my father's house and give me a true token. Back to that thought of... of no more courage in any man. 
God-given courage can make a difference. Especially in an impossible situation. David is an example of that. The whole army of Israel was trembling and shaking at Goliath. And David just got infuriated that nobody was willing to go out and challenge this giant. And David was the least likely of them all, but he had the courage to do it. And one man did it. I heard about a preacher that decided to get a chick track into every home in his, is it a state, province, province? Brother Brandon Lake is on a mission to get a track in every home in Nova Scotia. And now I believe I heard there's an island also that's in on that deal. What is the name of that? Prince Edward Island. Island. The tracks are already bought, paid for, been shipped, and the postage money has been raised. And this project is well on its way because one man was willing to let God lay this project on his heart that seemed impossible and it's just happened, bam, 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 and it's happening. You just got to have some courage sometime to believe God to do what seems impossible. I remember hearing his daddy preach right here. Tremendous, tremendous preaching he did. Right here, one of the times that I came here. What a blessing. Remember what God has already done. He dried up the Red Sea. Delivered them from Egyptian bondage. Water from a rock. Manna from heaven. Okay, you tired of manna? About some quail. Since you griped and complained about the manna, I'm going to give you quail till it runs out your nose. Mm-hmm, yeah, that'll be delicious. And the men answered her, Our life for yours, if ye utter not this our business. And it shall be when the Lord hath given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. And she let them down by a cord through the window for her house was upon the town wall and she dwelt upon the wall. When the archaeologists found the remains of Jericho to everybody's amazement the, the entire wall of the city except one little spot was in shambles. Totally destroyed. They found one little section of the wall that was still standing after thousands of years of being buried. Amen. It's not only stood through this story, it's still standing today. Amen. 
Well, it's a pretty strong wall. If it survived the collapse of the rest of the wall and survived time and being buried for centuries and even millenniums, solid enough that they could dig down there and find it and it's still standing. I'm talking about God can do the impossible. But here's where we, here's what you got to do. You got to remember what he's already done in your life. And you don't focus on the wall. You focus on the God who is greater than the wall. And sooner or later, in your life, after you get saved, you're going to be living your Christian life and you're going to absolutely hit a wall that looks like it's going to stop you from doing whatever it is that God has for you to do. Brother Brandon's dad hit a wall when he fell, but he kept going. He didn't quit. He, He did some of the best preaching I ever heard him do after he hit the wall. Don't focus on the size of the wall, the strength of the wall, the superiority of the wall, the impossibility of the wall, but focus on the almighty God who spoke this world into existence. Let there be and there was day after day after day after day. It was all impossible and they're still trying to figure out how it happened. All they got to do is read your Bible. God said, and it was. No, it had took millions and billions, and now they're used to say millions of years. Now they're saying billions of years. I don't know what comes after that. Trillions. I guess it'll be eventually be trillions of years, quadrillions of years, or supercalifragilisticexpialidocious years. Don't focus on the walls, focus on the God who is almighty, always has been, always will be, and still is today. He's almighty. The God of creation and the God of Calvary who so loved us that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What a miracle that is. Which is the bigger miracle, creation or Calvary? And then you get to Revelation, the consummation of it all. How miraculous is that going to be? Don't focus on the wall. Focus on the God who to him the wall is nothing. It's nothing. You're going to remember that. You're going to need to remember that when you hit the wall. Remember what he's already done. Don't focus on the walls. And don't listen to the naysayers. Joshua 14, verse number 6. 14, 6. 
Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua and Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, a man of God, concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barnea. Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to espy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in mine heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. You can't listen to the naysayers or when you hit a wall, you're going to be stopped. You can't go any further if you listen to the people who say it can't be done. You just need one guy that says we can do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's, let's put a chick track in every house in Nova Scotia. You know, that just sounds kind of crazy. I mean, that'd be like saying, let's put a chick track in every house in Winnipeg. Only multiply that by several times. It'd be quite an undertaking. You can't listen to the naysayers, but let God speak to you even if he uses a harlot. Now here's where the King James Bible believers get stuck in the mud. They believe the messenger has to be saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost and carrying a King James Bible before they'll even listen to them. Hmm? Right? And if they know somebody gets up and they're not all of those things, click. Well, listen, I'm not listening to this guy or this lady. They can't tell me anything. There's a little book called The Improvement of the Mind written by Isaac Watts. You never read it? You need to get it. If all you do is read the introduction, it's worth the price of the book. I don't care if they want $50 for it. Just buy it if you see it. It's a little hard to find. But he says, in, I believe it's in the introduction. I could be mistaken. It might have been in the first chapter. But Isaac Watts said, when you're discussing something with someone, don't ever stop listening because you disagree with them. He said, because as soon as you stop listening, you stop improving your mind. You cannot improve your mind if you won't listen. But even if you disagree with them, he said, you might learn a better way to present your argument 
If you will listen to what they have to say, and God can show you, look, the way you're approaching this is not a good way to approach this. You're going to have to kind of come around this way and approach this with this person because of the way they've been trained and what they believe. He said, don't stop listening to them. Listen even more carefully if you disagree with them. And your mind will improve. You know that Old Testament prophet by the brook? God sent him his food by what? An unclean, dirty bird. He got two choices. Unclean, unclean, shoo, 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 get away from me. Okie doke, here I go with your T-bone steak. (laughs) That God sent me to bring you. Hmm? Right? I say don't listen to the naysayers, but listen to God when He speaks to you, even if He uses your lost boss. Or your lost mother-in-law. It's even worse. Or how about this one? One of your grandkids. One of my grandkids said something to me the other day and I thought, I'm not sure I like this, but I think God just spoke to me about something. Yeah. But I'm sure the brethren would criticize you if you said, look, I heard from God. Oh, yeah? Yeah, you know, this harlot was telling me. Whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) What? No, really, really, God spoke to me uh, through the harlot. That's right. Don't listen to the naysayers. Let God speak to you through whomever He will. If you want to live victorious. Now, if your ego can't handle that, go ahead and live in defeat. That's your choice. Do what God says, even if it makes no sense to you. Joshua chapter 6, verse 3. And you shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once, thus shalt thou do six days. And seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of rams. This is getting pretty detailed. The will of God can get pretty detailed. And the seventh day you shall compass the city seven times, and the priests shall blow with the trumpets, and it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout. I'm just not into shouting. That's probably why you don't have any victory. That's why when you hit a wall, you can't get over it or through it. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Well, I'm just not the emotional type. Yes, you are. You can get mad at the drop of a hat. It's just that you can't get glad. You're limited on your emotions to the ones you want to have. Oh, I'm going. Thank you for the encouragement, though. I appreciate it. Shout with a great shout. A great shout. Shout with a great shout. 
and the wall of the city shall fall down flat and the people shall ascend up. How they going? They're going up that steep slope I was talking about. Every man straight before him. And Joshua the son of Nun called the priest and said unto them, Take up the ark of the covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said unto the people, Pass on and compass the city and let him that is armed pass on before the ark of the Lord. And it came to pass when Joshua had spoken unto the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns passed on before the Lord and blew with the trumpets and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. And the armed men went before the priest that blew with the trumpets and the rearward came after the ark and the priests going on and blowing with the trumpets and Joshua had commanded the people saying, Ye shall not shout nor make any noise with your voice, neither shall any word proceed out of your mouth. Yeah, that wasn't King James Bible believers. Did you ever try to tell one of them to be quiet? Hmm? Ain't happening. It ain't happening. But whatever they think, they're fixing to tell you. Joshua commanded these people saying, I want no shouting, no talking, no noise for the first six days and most of the seventh day. No talking. Have you ever had a work day? A church work day? Did you know it's real hard to get work done because everybody wants to talk? Or is that just Texas? Huh? You know, missionaries are always saying, Pastor, you got anything we could do while we're here? You know, blah, 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 blah. Well, I had a mission conference one year and I decided, you know, we're just going to put a new roof on. I'm going to have all these missionaries and they're going to always want to do something. So we're going to put a roof on this auditorium while they're here. So I announced on Monday night of our mission conference, Everybody, all you missionaries be here 7 o'clock in the morning and we're going to put a roof on this building. And they came. But one of the guys just kept talking. And he wanted three or four people to listen to him while he talked. And so I said, "Eh," you know, trying to be sweet little me. I said, brother, you know, we're here to work. We're not here to fellowship, so uh, let's get to work. Yeah, that didn't stop him. Yaggedy, 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 yaggedy. So I told him again, hey, hey, you know, quit talking to these people. We're trying to, we're stringing out these shingles. I had an air nailer, you know, pop, 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 pop. I had three guys stringing them out, and I was just pop, 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 pop. We were doing pretty good, but three of my, four of my workers, counting the talker, I, I hesitate to even call him a worker. <laughs> He's just a talker. But it's like when you in warfare, if you can wound one guy, it's going to take three or four more guys to carry him, so you've taken five of them out with one bullet. This guy was taking them out five at a time with his tongue. So I finally said, Brother so-and-so, off the roof, on the ground, your job for the rest of the day is make sure my air hose doesn't get tangled up. And he did. I took him on for support after that because he did what he was told eventually. <laughs> just had to get bold and direct and just lay it down, tell him like it is. You say, well, that's not very Christian. Actually, I believe it is. You know what I believe is not Christian? Just let somebody ruin the whole day. 
and you can't get the job done. That's what's not Christian. Somebody's got to have some courage. And that's usually the leader. I like Brother Carlson's announcements. I thoroughly enjoyed those announcements. Reminded me of me. Somebody's got to be the bad guy. Here am I, send me. Somebody's got to have some courage. General George Patton, World War II tank commander, said never take counsel of your fears. Be courageous. Fear will paralyze you. Some mugger comes up and he's wanting your money. Don't be afraid. Surprise him. Attack him. He ain't expecting that. I guarantee you he's not expecting that. He said, well, he might kill me. He might anyway. You might as well give it a go. Amen. Teach him it might not be worth it to you, man. Fear paralyzes people. So, do what God says. Be obedient. So then comes the question of how do we know what God is telling me to do? How do I know? I'll give you eight things here. That is God's will for you. Number one, reading the Word of God. It is God's will for us to read the Word of God. And somewhere, if you'll read that Word of God, God will speak to you about something. Now, you may hit a wall, but if you've got the Word of God to stand on, it doesn't matter if you hit a wall. You've got the Word of God. It's greater than the wall. How does he reveal his plan or his will to us? Through the Spirit of God. Young preachers are always asking me, how did you know God wanted you to preach? Or how did you know God wanted you to move to Houston? Or how did you know that God this, that, the other? How did you know, how did you know, how did you know? It's really pretty simple. You just say, not my will, thy will be done. Speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. Speak to me, Lord. Tell me what you want me to do. And by the grace of God, I'll do my best to do it. But don't tell him that if the first time you hit a wall, you're going to throw up your hands and give up and quit. If you're going to say, here am I, send me, then when the wall comes up, you keep trusting God. You may have to march around it for seven days or seven years. For 70 years. Joshua and Caleb had 40 years in the wilderness. But Caleb was still saying, I want that mountain. I want that mountain where the milk and honey flow. Where the something, something goes, flows. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Don't give up if the Spirit of God said this is the way, walk ye in it. Amen. He may need to redirect you. That's all right. Just follow, follow him like they did that cloud by day and that 
pillar of fire by night. Just follow the Spirit of God and His leading, and He'll, he'll show you the way. How does He reveal His plan? Well, you're going to have to flee from that sin. We're back to that holiness message now. How are you going to find God's plan? You're going to have to avoid the temptation of being worldly. Worldliness is killing our churches and robbing them of power. Our society is eat up with ink. I-N-K. Ink. I've been in three airports today. It's a zoo. It is a zoo what people are doing to themselves nowadays. It's more interesting than going to the zoo. For me, I don't know about everybody else, but I'm like, well, that's unusual. I don't think I've ever seen that before. You've got to avoid the worldliness. You've got to forgive others. If you're going to have a church that does something for God, and if you're going to do the will of God, you've got to get over somebody said something to you, about you, about your wife, about one of your kids. You've got to get past that. You've got to get over that. It's not worth getting crossways with the church or the preacher or your brother sitting close to you. Amen. Just get over it. Whatever it takes, get over it. You've got to be forgiven, even when you don't want to. In fact, that's the most important time to do it. It's when you don't want to. You've got to love others, because charity, how often does it fail? Charity never fails. I wonder why he didn't say that about preaching. You know when somebody has a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter, here's the biggest mistake they make. They want to keep preaching to them while they're in the, while they're in the far country. Leave them alone. One of these days, they're going to come to themselves like the prodigal son did. And until he comes to himself, you are wasting your breath. And in fact, you're pushing them further away. Well, God gave me this verse. Thank him for it, but don't give it to that prodigal. Okay, you don't have to agree with me. You can be wrong if you want to. It's a free country. Pretty much. (laughs) But charity never fails. Pastor called me. He said, my son's in prison. Lord laid it on my heart to call you and see if you had any advice for me. I said, I do. I said, I got two words of advice for you. Number one, every time you go see that boy, tell him how much you love him. Number two, don't even take your Bible. 
don't even take your Bible to the visitation room. He said, why? I said, because you're going to want to read him a verse and preach to him. He's already heard you preach everything you know. He does not need you to preach to him or her now. He needs you to confirm that you still love him or her. Now you can believe that. You can not believe it. You can agree. You can disagree. But I'm telling you, charity never fails. And your preaching will fail with that prodigal. Leave him alone. If you get a chance to go visit him, go visit him, love him. Let him know the door's open for everyone to come home. Well, you don't know what they did. No, but God does. He knew all we did. And he loved us when we were unlovable. God's just teaching you how to be like him. So don't get in the way. Don't mess it up. How does he reveal his plan? By loving people. Even when they're not doing right. Doesn't mean you're to hang out with them. Doesn't mean that you keep one of these rebels in your house when they're going against all the rules of the home. Doesn't mean that. But it does mean when you see them, you tell them you love them. You don't have to approve of what they're doing, but you still love them. God still loves us a lot of times when He doesn't approve of what we're doing. James 1.27, take care of the fatherless and the widows. And God will reveal His plan to you. He'll say, this is the way, walk ye in it. You know, you post people quote that and say, orphans and widows. Right? Isn't that usually how you hear it? It doesn't say orphans. You know why it does not say orphans? Because there's a lot of people who are fatherless who are not orphans. They still have a mother, but they don't have a father. Are you with me on that? Love those people. Take care of them. You got a little boy in your church, and his father is... Moved on. He needs somebody to be a friend to him and to love him and spend time with him. He's fatherless. He's not an orphan, but he's fatherless. That's a lot of what's wrong in our societies nowadays. Children growing up without a father. In fact, manliness is hated in our societies nowadays. If a man gets stern with a child, our society will turn on him like a mad dog. My dad did not mind being stern when he needed to. And he didn't care what anybody thought about it. He'd get stern with them if they didn't like it. 
I thought of a story, but it'll, I don't have time. How do you find God's plan? Feed the hungry. Clothe the needy, Matthew 25, where you'll find that. Verses 34 to 40. God will reveal his plan to you, but there's going to be a wall, and to get it done, you're going to have to trust God to overcome the wall. We got some ministries in our church right now that we're taking a lot of heat because people will say, y'all gotten into humanitarian aid instead of the gospel. No, we're using food and medicine to get us in the door to preach the gospel. We're doing it in Venezuela. We're doing it in Ukraine. We've been going into Ukraine ever since the war started, preaching the gospel while all the missionaries are leaving. We said, hey, the door's open, let's go. What do you do when you hit the wall? Expect the supernatural or you will never see God's power. God is still the God of the supernatural. Joshua 6 verse 20 says, So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets, and it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. That's supernatural that blowing on trumpets and ram's horns and shouting would knock down such a crazy strong wall around an entire city. It takes holiness and it takes obedience to see miracles. It takes faith in God Faith in the blood, so you can believe in holiness. It takes some zeal. Yeah, praise the Lord. No. You're going to hit a wall and it's not coming down. You've got to have some zeal. Amen. Well, I'm just not that way. Then get that way. Or be a spiritual loser for the rest of your life. See how that works for you. You've got to have some zeal. We're not like that. Change! Oh, boy, that met resistance. Did you feel that? <laughs> I mean, he's got trumpets. You know, trumpets are made out of brass. They're kind of annoying. They're noisy. They're harsh. Unless Louis Armstrong's playing it. What a wonderful world. Expect the supernatural or you'll never see God's power. 
worship and fellowship with the holy, obedient, zealous crowd that expects God to work. Don't worry about the ridicule. Don't get discouraged. Keep believing God will let you do what He's told you He wants you to do. No matter how much ridicule and resistance you face. Glory to God. Now, you may not be getting this, but I think I'm getting part of it. And then enjoy the blessings when he does do something. Look at chapter 6, 19 to 21, and I'm done. Verse 19, But all the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted when the priest blew the trumpets and it came to pass. You know, I read that. The wall fell down flat and everybody went up straight before him. They took the city. Verse 21, they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, and ox and sheep and ass with the edge of the sword. Oh, that's so mean. No, it's the will of God. Did you know you're not always going to like the will of God? You're not always going to approve of the will of God. But if it's the will of God, it's the thing to do. Amen. Everybody's got their God in a little box. He's only permitted to do these things. And then he says something like this, just kill everybody. Well, I just don't believe God would do that. He did. He already did. I said he already did. I got a whole sermon on when God gets in a killing mood. <laughs> Boy, it's a rough one too. Better be glad you're getting the gentle one. They killed everybody. And everything. Ox, sheep, they're hacking them with their swords. Hmm. They're enjoying the blessings. That just seems so violent. Here's what you do with blessings. You live them. You tell them. And you preach them. And let everybody know this was a blessing from God. <laughs> yeah. That war in Ukraine has allowed us to get over 3,000 refugees safely to Denmark. That's just our church. I'm not for the war. But I am for helping people. One young lady is in our church because she had an aunt that was in our church. So we got her living with her aunt. Ukrainian citizen. Still working on her papers. We got a wall there. Need you to help us pray. God gives this girl her papers so she can stay and not have to go back to Ukraine. 
But the other 3,000 plus are in Denmark tonight, safe and sound. What looked impossible because none of them had passports. That's how they became refugees. They left Ukraine, they got to the Romanian border, going to go into Romania where it would be safe. But they had no passports, so they couldn't go through. So, they went to our little place that God gave us before the war started, 165 acres, wheat farm in Ukraine, with 28,000 square feet of buildings, enough to house over 3,000 refugees. And we just started taking them food and medicine. Took care of them. Started helping them process paperwork. It's been a huge undertaking. I didn't think we could possibly get all those people into Denmark. But what do you do when you hit a wall? You keep trusting God and believing God and just doing what's right. And when the naysayers tell you how, you know, you're not preaching the gospel anymore, you're into this humanitarian aid, just go ahead and do what God tells you to do. Let the naysayers believe what they want, say what they want, do what they want, and just go ahead and be a blessing to people. And God will bless you for being a blessing. Or you can just come up maybe even with a scriptural excuse keep doing nothing. Let the Russian bear steamroll them. Kill them all. Not on my watch. We're going to rescue as many as we can. Give them the gospel. Some will receive it. Some will reject it. But we're going to give them the gospel and ask God to do something for them. So what are you going to do when you hit a wall? Stop? Give up? Get discouraged? Quit? Are you going to be courageous and say, Lord, you told me to do this and it's looking impossible right now. And I'm going to trust you no matter what. Father, I pray you bless the message. Encourage somebody's heart. And I don't have any idea what you've put on anybody's heart in here. But I can look back over my life. I thought moving to Houston was impossible for a peanut farmer. And yet I'm still there after 45 years later. I want to thank you for what you've done and give you the praise and the glory because I certainly could not have done it myself. Lord, it seemed impossible to raise a million dollars for missions in a year, but we watched you do it several times. Thank you for that, Lord. Lord, I pray for all those refugees in Denmark 
I don't know who's in Denmark to teach them the Bible and preach to them. The only missionary I knew in Denmark left the field before these folks got there. Lord, we need somebody in Denmark that can speak Ukrainian. And Lord, I know it's not impossible for you. Would you put your hand on somebody, raise them up, use them, get the gospel to the regions beyond? Lord, don't let a wall stop anybody in here. But show them a way. Now maybe you put the wall up because they were going the wrong direction. 